Today's episode is sponsored by Tego. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tego and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tego offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico-legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tego by visiting tego.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr Kate Steele. And I'm Dr Kate McCrossan. And today's episode is Shock to the System Part 1, where we will discuss the perioperative management of cardiac implantable devices. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. Okay, Kate, open disclosure time. When I was studying for my part two exam, this was a topic that I really struggled with in that I had a terrible time remembering everything. And if I'm being honest, I still do. Yeah, it's a testament to the fact that if you don't use it, you lose it, isn't it? Particularly with technical and slightly complicated stuff. Yeah, that's so true. So now we thought we'd discuss this topic given the recent publication in the journal Anesthesia in April of this year of the British Heart Rhythm Society's guidelines for the perioperative management of people with cardiac implantable electronic devices, or CIEDs. We've linked the article in our show notes, so be certain to give it a read. These are the latest formal guidelines to be published on this topic, and most of what we discuss going forward will be from within this article. But before we dive in, Kate and I are both keen to revise some relevant knowledge about CIEDs. Yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) For starters, the term CIED refers to a larger collection of different devices than you might initially think. And the indications for implantation are relevant for us to understand as well. Starting with permanent pacemakers, these devices are implanted to treat bradycardia. They are predominantly programmed to promote intrinsic cardiac activity and often only start pacing when the heart rate falls below a preset level, and typically this is 60 beats per minute. The programming modes for these devices are actually more straightforward than they initially seem to the unfamiliar eye. Pacing modes consist of three letters, and this is referred to as the NGB code. The first letter describes the chamber that is being paced, and this can be any of the following. O, in which no chambers are being paced. A, in which the atrium is being paced. V, in which the ventricle is being paced. Or D, in which there is dual chamber pacing. So the second letter refers to the chamber that the device is sensing. And as for the first letter, this can be either O for none, A for atrial, V for ventricular, or D for dual chamber sensing. The last letter is a little different in that it describes the device's response to sensing. It can be any of the following. O, when there's no response. T, which describes a triggered response by the device. I, which refers to the inhibition of a response from the device. Or D, which describes a combination of a triggered and an inhibited response. AAI mode is the most common single chamber atrial pacing mode. It describes atrial demand pacing where the atrium is both sensed and paced. Basically, there is no action if the atrium fires normally and the device is constantly sensing for that normal atrial activity. The device steps in and fires, however, if atrial activity occurs at a rate slower than the set pacemaker rate. 
Asynchronous atrial pacing or AOO mode is usually the programmed response when a magnet is placed over an AAI programmed pacemaker. In this mode, the device defaults to pacing the atria at a set and predefined rate, regardless of whether there is intrinsic activity within the atria. If the program rate is not high enough, you may see the patient's underlying rhythm competing with the unsynchronized firing of the device. But generally speaking, it's likely that electrical activity from the sinoatrial node will occur during the atria's refractory period as long as the programmed rate is fast enough. For single-chamber ventricular pacing, the most common program we see is VVI, or ventricular demand pacing. The device sits and senses ventricular electrical activity, and in the absence of a QRS complex below a threshold ventricular rate as pre-programmed into the device, it fires to enable ventricular contraction. All in all, very similar to single-chamber atrial pacing. If a magnet is placed over a VVI pacemaker, it defaults to VOO, or asynchronous ventricular pacing. In this instance, the device continues to pace the ventricle regardless of intrinsic ventricular electrical activity, and as I'm sure you can all imagine, the risk of an R on T phenomenon and subsequent polymorphic VT is significant. And for dual chamber pacemakers, the most common mode encountered is DDD or dual chamber demand pacing. In a nutshell, the pacemaker remains dormant in the event of normal atrial or ventricular activity. If depolarization fails in one chamber, the pacemaker delivers a pacing shock to that chamber. If electrical activity in both chambers fails, then the device will pace both chambers with a pre-programmed timing gap, usually the time of a normal PR interval to ensure globally synchronous contraction of the heart. In the event that a magnet is placed over a DDD programmed device, the programming defaults to, as you guessed it, DOO, also known as asynchronous dual chamber pacing. Essentially, the device defaults to routinely pacing even in the presence of intrinsic cardiac activity. It's worth mentioning before moving on from pacemakers that technically, NBG pacemaker codes usually consist of five letters, not just three. We generally only refer to the first three in the majority of patients, though, because specific programming related to letters four and five doesn't occur particularly commonly. The fourth letter refers to the programmability of the device and is either O for no programmability or for R, which signifies rate modulation programming. Rate modulation uses physiologic sensors, other than cardiac electrical activity, to adjust the pacing rate according to the physiologic need of the patient. And the letter in the fifth position signifies the presence of multi-site pacing. This can be programmed as O for none, A for one or both of the atria, V for one or both of the ventricles, and D for any combination of pacing within both the atria and ventricles. Now, for those of you thinking to yourselves that the fifth position description we've given isn't what you may have learned previously, you would be correct. In 2002, the NBG code was revised to better reflect the evolution of pacemaker technology. Previously, the letter in the fifth position described the type of anti-tachycardia function that the device had, but this is now obsolete. Good to know. So now that we've exhausted pacemakers, let's move on to implantable cardioverter defibrillators. They are used in patients who suffer from or who are at high risk of developing ventricular arrhythmia. Often these patients do not have an indication for a permanent pacemaker and the device is programmed only to pace the heart when the heart rate falls below 40 beats per minute. Interestingly, a small proportion of devices are subcutaneous ICDs or SICDs. They are typically implanted in the axilla and they don't have leads within the heart, so they are unable to offer conventional pacing support. 
Programming modes for ICDs are a little different to those of pacemakers, but follow many of the same principles and are indeed compatible with pacemaker modes, and we will explain this later. These codes, referred to as the NBD code, describe the device's lead placement and function and consist of letters in four different positions. Position 1 advises us of the chamber that is shocked. This letter can be any of the following. O, which means no chambers are shocked. A, which refers to the atrium. V, which refers to the ventricle, and D, which means dual chambers or both the atria and ventricle receive a shock. The letter in position two describes the antitachycardia pacing chamber and signifies the location of antitachycardia pacing, but without specifying which protocol is used, for example, burst or ramp. This letter can be any of O for none, A for atrium, V for ventricle, and D for dual, or both the atrium and ventricle. Where an antitachycardia pacing capability is present, the capability of tiered therapy whereby antitachycardia pacing is followed if necessary by defibrillation is assumed to exist. Position 3's letter illustrates how the device detects the presence of a tachyarrhythmia. For this, there are only two options. E, which signifies the device relies on ECG signal processing alone, or H, which describes a combination of both ECG monitoring as well as one or more hemodynamic-related variables. And lastly, position 4 refers to the anti-bradycardia pacing chamber. Similar to positions 1 and 2 for ICDs, the options for the location of the anti-bradycardia pacing can be one of either O, A, V or D. Similar to the location of the anti-tachycardia pacing chamber, there is no description of the pacing protocol that actually occurs. Now we're about to enter territory where ICDs can get a little confusing, but bear with us, please. When describing implantable cardioverter defibrillator NBD codes or programming modes, we generally only refer to the minimum number of mode letters used to describe the device. Letters in position 1 and 2 are always used as these represent base function in all ICDs. But letters in positions 3 and 4 are often only used where specific programming exists. So, for example, a ventricle-only ICD without pacing will have an NBD code of VO. V, because it delivers a shock to the ventricle, and O, because there is no anti-tachycardia pacing. Technically, you could also describe the NBD code as VOE, where E represents tachycardia detection via ECG signal processing, which is the standard baseline in all ICDs. Or you could describe the code as VOEO, where the last O represents that there is no anti-bradycardia pacing. Again, we're going to add a little more complexity as to how we can describe an ICD's function. For devices that have an anti-bradycardia pacing function, we can describe these using the four-letter NBD code. There is another way we can describe this device, though. Instead of using a single letter in the fourth position, we can actually use the anti-bradycardia programming code that is the same as the NBG code for pacemakers. This sounds complicated, but we'll explain with some examples. We'll start with a ventricle-only ICD with VVIR anti-bradycardia pacing. The NBD code of this device is VOEV. So the first V tells us that the device delivers a shock to the ventricle. The O tells us there is no anti-tachycardia pacing. The E tells us that tachycardia detection occurs via ECG processing and that the anti-bradycardia pacing chamber is the ventricle. We can also describe this device with the code VOE-VVIR, where VVIR is a more detailed description of the specific anti-bradycardia pacing protocol being used. 
So for this device, the code VVIR tells us that the pacing chamber is the ventricle, the sensing chamber is the ventricle, the response to sensing is inhibition of the delivery of a shock, and that there is programmable rate modulation. Another example is as follows. So this device is an ICD with both ventricular cardioversion defibrillation and atrial fibrillation conversion, hemodynamic sensing, dual chamber anti-tachycardia pacing, and DDDR anti-bradycardia pacing. The NBD code for this device is DDHD where the first D tells us that both the patient's atrium and ventricle can receive a shock. The second D tells us that the device has a dual chamber anti-tachycardia pacing function and that both the atrium and ventricle can be paced if this situation occurs. The H tells us that tachycardia detection occurs via both hemodynamic variable monitoring and ECG processing. And the last D tells us that dual chamber anti-bradycardia pacing can occur. Alternatively, we can describe this device's function with the code DDH-DDDR, where DDDR describes the anti-bradycardia pacing protocol. So for this ICD's anti-bradycardia pacing, there is dual chamber pacing, dual chamber sensing, a combination of both triggered and inhibited responses that the device performs, and lastly, the R describes that rate modulation is present. So now that we've exhausted ICDs, and I think we're both feeling a little bit exhausted yeah, after that description, yeah, we'll move on to devices for cardiac resynchronization therapy. These devices are very similar to pacemakers, but instead of stepping in to initiate electrical activity on one or more chambers where electrical activity may be absent, they instead work to coordinate ventricular contraction. They're used in patients that have heart failure and are programmed to pace the heart continuously, and when implanted, often improve a patient's cardiac output. A small number of patients may actually have a WISE CRT system resynchronization device. These devices consist of an ultrasound transmitter and a separate battery unit, both of which are implanted into the chest wall, and these stimulate a seed or small ultrasound-sensitive electrode implanted in the left ventricle. Other implantable devices that may be encountered in our clinical practice include implantable loop recorders and insertable cardiac monitors for monitoring cardiac arrhythmias. Lastly, the term cardiac implantable electronic devices may also refer to leadless pacemakers. The term leadless pacing system typically refers to the micro single chamber transcatheter pacing system from Medtronic, and they may be used again in a small number of patients. These devices are small and are implanted directly into the cardiac muscle. In general terms, they pace the heart when the heart rate drops below a set threshold similar to traditional pacemakers. Now, it's hard to believe that we've only just finished discussing the different cardiac implantable (laughs) devices, and we've already run out of time. So we will discuss the new guidelines in part two of Shock to the System. It's been an intense but worthwhile discussion on this week's Deep Breaths. Don't forget to claim CPD for listening to this episode if you're a consultant or fellow. As always, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, or you just want to say hi, you can email us on deepbreathspod at gmail.com. You can find us on most podcast platforms and following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify makes finding new episodes easier. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.